Hey everybody, Guru Ham here, host of the Community Money Podcast. You are now listening to the newest episode featuring Ayla Harris from First Home Mortgage. Today we're going to discuss what a loan officer is, how important they are to your loan buying process, and discussing all of the tips to obtain generational wealth on your journey towards it. So enjoy the episode and let me know. Shoot me an email, financial.guru.ham at gmail and also financial.guru.ham on Instagram. Peace. Hey, everybody, you know who it is, Guru Ham, host of the Community Money Podcast and CEO and founder of Community Financial Investments. Today, we have a special guest, Ayla Harris. She's a loan officer with First Home Mortgage. Say what's up to the people, Ayla. Hi, how y'all doing? So, Ayla, number one, thank you for being a part of this well-anticipated episode. Um, I spoke to you months ago. I mean, it, it probably was a couple months prior to the pandemic. Um, so that's so that's how long we've known each other. You know, we go back like four flats in a Cadillac uh, or <laughs> or is it a Cadillac with four flats? I can never really get that right. Um, but, you know, I, the, the presentation, the workshop that you did with uh, Brittany Phillips from the One Million Families Initiative and also Karen, uh, Karen Goodwin from uh, Keller Williams, it, it stuck with me. And I felt that, you know, my listeners would love to, you know, be able to tap into that brain of yours so they can understand the mortgage process a lot better um, and understand, you know, what the mortgage process has in store for this pandemic. If they're out there still looking for houses, what's a good time? Things like that. Absolutely. I'm happy to answer all of those questions and a little bit more. There's so much going on right now. <laughs> so much is going on. Yeah. And understanding the dynamics will put you in a position to make a wise financial decision, not just a financial decision that is not going to serve your, your interests long term. Absolutely. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get it started. Um, Ms. Harris, <laughs> you are a loan officer with First Home Mortgage. So yes. let the people know where you're from, you know, uh, where you were born, where you grew up. Uh, and what school did you graduate from and where? Sure thing. Um, like you just said, hi, I'm Ayla Harris. I'm a loan officer with First Home Mortgage. I am from everywhere. My parents were military, mm. so I grew up overseas for most of my life. Um, coming to America when I was 15 was a culture shock, mm. even though today I'm American. So <laughs> I grew up in, <laughs> I grew up in um, Hawaii, California, Panama, England. Um, I've traveled to some parts of Europe and then I came back to the States when I was 15 and that was like I said a culture shock America was not what I was used to I was used to the military mm. and that's its own, its own culture yeah for sure so I went to UMBC University of Maryland Baltimore County and um that's in you know Catonsville yeah. up the street near Baltimore the big <laughs> yeah right down right down the road yeah but I just you know, want to let you guys know Follow me on social media. My social media is approved with Ayla on Facebook and Instagram. I have a TikTok, but I don't post anything because I'm not that jazzy yet. Me either. <laughs> not me. that jazzy at all, but my Instagram has great information. I shoot videos all the time 
when people have questions and I, I continue to get that question, I'll make a quick one minute video to answer it. That way everyone can benefit from the information. So your best bet is to follow me on Instagram approved with Ayla. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being an advocate for knowledge. Um, there's so many individuals out here who believe that they know how to lead people down the right path because they are quote unquote educated, but they never did anything formal, right? It, I mean, they never did it never did anything formal to get like their certificates and everything like that, right? So, thank you for being a uh, for being an advocate for knowledge, so people can actually Absolutely. make the right decisions. So we appreciate you for that at Community Money Podcast. Let so, me just tell you a little bit of... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. This is this your interview. I, I ain't trying to cut you out. This is your interview. Do, do your thing. <laughs> um, this is really important to, to help you get to know me better. Let me tell you how I got here. So, yeah, I went to college, but I didn't go to college for finance or business. I went to college for pharmacy, mm. <laughs> and I ended up um, going into pre-nursing. That didn't work out, so I just finished with sociology. Completely unrelated, simply because I love people and I love service. That is where my heart is. So everyone in my family owns homes except for like two people. So mm -hmm. when I was in my 20s, and I'm in my late 30s now, when I was in my early 20s, I wanted to buy a home. And I asked everyone their experience. Both my parents were Air Force, so they had VA loans. My aunt was in the Marine Corps for 20 years, VA loan. Uh, got a few conventional loans in the family, a few FHA loans. Everyone could tell me their Everyone could tell me their experience. They couldn't tell me the facts. They couldn't mm. give me advice because their advice was contradictory. So I couldn't make sense of what was right, what was wrong, what made sense, what didn't make sense. And understand, buying a house is not something that you can return to Amazon. And you're borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. It's nothing to play with. So I decided to go you know, get a career in, in real estate. I tried to be an agent for a hot second. Not a good fit for my personality. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely a black and white numbers person. I'm extremely analytical and can relay information in a concise manner, a succinct manner. Mm -hmm. So not interested in being an agent who sells. Um, I went to be a processor. As a processor, that's the first year I learned the guidelines. I learned what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what it really takes to get a mortgage. And it's not rocket science. Okay? Yeah. Mortgage a ton of rules, a little bit of math. The math is basic, but the guidelines to duck and dodge, do this, but don't do that in these circumstances for your long-term benefit, that's where things get a little bit complicated. But after that, I bought, <clears throat> pardon me, my first home. The second year of being a processor, I learned more of the finance piece. Mm. What loan officers were doing. And that's when I got pissed off because I realized that they were stealing from people. I realized that people were in making horrible decisions simply because they didn't know any better. The example, the straw that broke the camel's back, I'll never forget the file because this was, this made me so upset. <clears throat> the gentleman had a 636 credit score. Okay, not that bad. It's not bad. But once he gets to a 640, that's a different bracket. So lower interest rates, no points a better loan overall long-term. And he, he was four points away. All we had to do to get his score from 636 to 640 was simply pay down a credit card by a couple hundred bucks. Dude had thousands in the bank. So it wasn't like we didn't have the options. It's not like we didn't have the means. It's just that no one took the time 
to say, hey, pay down this one credit card, $400, and lower your interest rate by half a point. That's mm. going to save you 80 bucks a month. Mm. No one took the time. That's when I got upset. And that's when I decided to be the change that I want to see. I went and got my license and um, passed the test the first time. And here I am. So, nice. so nice. it's in my spirit, it's in my nature to want us to make wise decisions. And if you don't have anybody in your corner explaining the short-term and the long-term ramifications, um, just because you start one way doesn't mean that's how your financing will end. Mm. Have a plan in mind. There are so many ways to put a mortgage together. you got to tell me what you want. Is this a five-year thing? Is this an investment property? Is this a second home? What is this? Mm. That way you can present financing options that make sense for your goals. That way I can truly help you, not just put a roof over your head. You can rent and get a roof, but home ownership is so much more than just a place to live. So that's that's what makes me unique. That's why I'm here. And it matters to me that my clients are satisfied. Um, more than just, you know, picking up the phone. Did you do what you set out to do? And I'm here to make that happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, for that, because I see that, but I think that it's very important for the listeners to know exactly who I bring on every episode, because I want all of my listeners to know everybody that I do. I want them to know the people who are making a positive effect in my life so they can do the same, even if it's just with listening to a podcast that might go on for about an hour and 15 minutes, you know? Um, and shout out to the shout out to the Gandhi quotes. I saw you throw that in there. I saw you throw that Gandhi quote in there. Don't think I missed that. Um, but can you, one more time, can you let the people know where to find you? Can you let the people know um, what email address to send you any questions from this episode? We would greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at approved with Ayla. Let me spell that out. A-P-P-R-O-V-E-D uh, with W-I-T-H-A-L-A <laughs> is A-Y-L-A. My email address is a Harris at firsthome.com. So that's A-H-A-R-R-I-S at F-I-R- com. Absolutely. So you have what I would consider a very bubbly personality, right? right. Um, <laughs> so you were talking about, you know, nursing and then you said you pharmacy. What were you, what was little Ayla's aspirations growing up? You know, as she was jet setting <laughs> around the world where her military parents, like, what did you, you know, when you were younger, what did you say? This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be when I grow up. I wanted to be a marine biologist. Mm, Jacques okay. Cousteau was like my jam. I watched all of the documentaries. I loved whales. I had a picture of a whale in my bedroom growing up. It was a sperm whale to be exact. Okay. Um, that I had like little tchotchkes on my dresser of blue whales. I loved marine life. I enjoyed the water growing up. I've always lived by water. So it's, um, that's what I wanted to do. And then I remember, it's kind of funny because every year, you know, around graduation season, I look at my, what do you call that? The, the yearbook for my high school graduation. Mm -hmm. Look in there and I, I saw that I wanted <clears throat> to, I wanted to have nine kids. Like nine? what was me. I don't know why. Just nine. Why on earth would I ever want nine kids? But I wanted to be a marine, a marine biologist. I wanted to have nine kids, 
and none of that happened, but I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm exactly where I need to be. So life just kind of worked out in such a way that I'm happy, I'm productive, I'm contributing. It's a good fit. Absolutely. And and just nine <laughs> kids? Just nine? That's it? That's such a small number to attain i'm you know i'm just joking i'm just joking guys um right. nine is a lot one is a lot um so so ayla careers that you've held um prior to becoming a loan officer with first home mortgage where what did you do i worked in well first fresh out of college i had a direct care position um, with a children's hospital, and I would take care of children who had special needs, who mm. were intellectually disabled, but also had severe behavior disorders. That takes a special soul. Oh, it does. Um, it really does. Yeah. Those children, it's not, the children aren't bad. Children can't be bad. Children just need to be taught and trained in the way that they should grow and go. So just the, the training for those children was a little bit different, different but I enjoyed it. Then I became the recruiter for that department because I just loved those kids. Mm. Um, loved them. They were like my kids. And um, I loved them like I would love my own children. Sincerely, I, I would. They, they needed that kind of love. And I was in the headspace and had the time to give that to them. So then I became the recruiter for that department so that I could recruit people like me. Ultimately. Nice. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, we through the cracks understand the kind of person it's going to take to do this job and they have to do it with the right spirit, do it with the right heart, Um, not just come to work for a check because that check wasn't enough to put up with what they were going to endure. So that was that. Then I changed careers and I wanted to turn my hobby into a career and I love to garden. I have a garden now. I've got um, squash, butternut squash is growing, watermelon, peas, corn the carrots are almost done because it's a cool season crop yeah uh, i've got some broccoli i have kale and spinach in the house you know on my racks with my lights i've got a whole setup Absolutely. gardening so i tried to turn that into a career and that was a horrible fit <laughs> gardening doing or trying to garden quote unquote on a commercial scale is monotonous there's no interest in it I was by myself in a warehouse under fluorescent lights and i'm an extrovert i need people i love people yeah so that wasn't a good fit. I went back to healthcare, uh, did some intake for patients, helping them get aligned with appropriate services. After that, I went to another ho- the hospital where I first started fresh out of college. I went back there mm. <laughs> and it was um, as an intake supervisor, again, getting people aligned with the correct services, not doing direct care at that point, but aligned with the correct services. So at that point, it just, I needed I needed to buy a home and I didn't, and I typically don't trust people. Truth be told, that's just a little bit about me. I'm, I'm pretty guarded. So I needed to get a job in real estate in order for me to take that step. And then lo and behold, it just works out. I just wanted to throw one thing in there as well. Um, you know, a part of my, a part of my plan is to, you know, invest in low income housing. And the reason why is because with section eight, um, everybody has all these misconceptions about section eight. With, with more with with just section eight in general oh these people are poor x y and z the reason why 
uh, a lot of people who do Section 8 housing are not really um, the happiest that they've done it is because they themselves, have, as a landlord, have never treated the people that rip from them as human. They always treated them as less than. So when you treat people who look like you or who don't look like you, it doesn't matter. If you treat people like they're less than and you're still getting a 70% check from the government, all you have to do is get the other 30%. If you were cordial to them, you'll get your 30%. If you cared about their family, you get your 30%. If you probably sent them a gift card every single Christmas, maybe a hundred bucks, who cares? You bought a house that the government is paying off and you only are responsible for getting the other 30%. Send them $100 around Christmas and say, hey, I appreciate you. If you need any help, let me know. If you fall on hard times, let me know. I might not be able to help you monetarily, but I may be able to give you the advice and the experience that you need to get you through that time, right? Because we all can't offer money. Sometimes the thing that's priceless is great advice. Um, But then on top of that, uh, when I was doing my research for Section 8, I realized that the federal government backs that program. Even though you see a lot of cuts um, I saw on my message traffic for, for you know, just because I'm down with HUD, housing and urban development and stuff like that. I, you know, I have friends in the office and I talk to them about, hey, how can I get this property registered? How is it easy to do X, Y, and Z? When COVID-19 hit, there was a message that came out that said 100% of rent is going to be paid. Now, if you're a landlord with a Section 8 tenant, and you were worried about collecting that 30%, even if the government was giving you 70, well, guess what? You have no worries during this time because they're going to fully fund you at fair market rent for any and all properties that you own. So with community financial investments, if we can just get these dilapidated properties, maybe 15 or 20,000, I already have the construction people, I already have my agents, I already have a real estate lawyer, I already have the CPAs, I already created a structure for this thing to happen so we can actually reclaim what is ours. And I already told everybody, I'm working with 35 people for my first fund. I'm working with independent uh, investors for my construction fund. And then my second fund is going to be for the people who probably thought that it couldn't happen. It's still going to be an opportunity for you to invest as well. Not you, but the, <laughs> right. the second round, you know? So That's we're, what's up. That's yeah, amazing. So we're not, we're not playing when it comes to understanding that the way that you generate wealth is to get somebody else to pay for everything that you want in life. That's it. W two income. W two income is not going to make you rich. I, no, da- I, I, you know, it, it, think about it. Uh, Jeff Bezos got a ten ninety nine. Jeff Bezos is worth a couple tri- a couple billion dollars, a hundred hundred something billion dollars. He got a ten ninety nine. That should tell you something. Um, but I Bro. did I did want to let people know the listeners know that um you know as you do work for first home mortgage. Um, nothing that you say represents the thoughts and practices of first home mortgage and that you were just here to give a general overview of financing and options when it comes to purchasing a home and when it comes to the mortgage climate in today's society. Is that correct? Absolutely. And let me just say it for everybody in the back. Nothing I say represents first home mortgage. I'm just here to give some insight um, beyond the basics. You can Google the basics, but to give you insight, a general overview and insight into your financing options and um, talk about planning and, and wealth building. That's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Number one, thank you again. Uh, and we're going to go into our quick talk segment, right? So, man, 
We, I feel like this interview is, is, is going off without a hitch. I feel like I've had so much fun. And we haven't even dug into the middle with a toothpaste yet. Like, we haven't even got okay. there yet. So I know this okay. episode is going to be insane. So let's talk about a day in the life of a loan officer. What does that look like? What do you have to do on a day-to-day basis? Just give me two or three things to make these people understand how important you are to their home buying process. Um, every day is different. There's no such thing as like a standard, but what happens every day is I look at my loans and see where they are. Uh, basically call a lot of people, get them pre-approved. Um, I look at documents. So I set aside time to review the documents. If your loan officer um, takes your, your social and says, okay, you're good to go. That's not a pre-approval. That's a pre-qualification. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, pre-qualifications, sometimes people use that term pre-qual and pre-approval interchangeably. They are far, 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 far. They're, they're worlds apart. A pre-qual is a conversation. That conversation lends no credence. It means nothing to a seller when you're making an offer. A pre-approval means your credit was ran. It's been analyzed. You provided documentation. The loan officer should have reviewed it and to look for red flags, look for problems. And if there are problems, address that before, before you go under contract, not after the fact. That's when you start to have a really bad, horrible home buying experience, ultimately. Mm. And um, so basically a lot of phone calls, a lot of conversations, a lot of explanations, and pretty much just reviewing documents. I'm kind of like a, I just sit behind a desk all day and I stare at a screen and ultimately that the white background and the black font just starts to look gray. <laughs> when it looks gray, I take a nap and then I wake up at eight or 9 PM and keep it trucking until I'm done. Nice. That's long, long, good loan officers typically work long hours. Mm. Okay. This is not a 40 hour a week job by any stretch of anybody's imagination. Yeah. It's definitely a 55 to 75 hour per week job in the slow season. Let's say it's winter time. No, not too many people are buying homes around the winter time. Yeah. So it might be a 55 hour week summertime right now. I think I've put in over 70 hours as of this Friday. Mm. Um, I got three hours of sleep. So, wow. <laughs> so I then woke up um, and then just picked up my computer and started working again. That's just how much business there is right now. Uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I know we're going to touch on that later. But COVID-19, people have this perception that everything has stopped, that the market is dead. That it has not. This. That couldn't be further from the truth. At this point, bottom line, buyers are going in $15,000, $25,000 over list price, escalation clauses, um, no inspection contingencies, no appraisal contingencies. Wow. Like, what's what that means? But bottom line... <laughs> People are, buyers are getting in and they are competing with the best of the best of the best. So we'll touch on that later. But the day, the day in the life of a loan officer is phone calls and documents, phone calls and documents, <laughs> phone calls and more documents until it all just starts to look gray. You make it sound so like so much fun. I can't wait to start. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the nature of the work is interesting. I, it's, I get to problem solve every day. I get to problem solve every day. There's no such thing as the same file because everyone's goals are different. Um, how I communicate with them is different. I meet people where they are. Layman's terms, or if they want to know all the lingo, we can go into the lingo. 
If they want the metrics or the math, I can go into how the math is calculated. It's not rocket science. Mm. But it, um, more importantly, the work. Like, for example, I had a closing today. Let me tell you a quick story. Congratulations. So, Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. We have a lot. <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here rolling in clones. It's fine. Oh, but, um, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I'm good at explaining things. So let me tell you what happened. I had a client. She closed today at noon. Um, technically, right now, we're not supposed to be going to closings because of COVID-19 and all that. Yeah. But I just asked to show my face because I've been working with this woman for two months and she's never seen my face. Wow. So, right. <laughs> so I want to just poke my head in, say congratulations, and then leave out. Let me tell you her story. She's excellent credit, money in the bank, problem solved. We go to, we're ready to close on her house, but there's this underlying problem with the appraisal. There is between her house and her neighbor's house, there's a driveway. That driveway is between the two properties and then it opens up and wide, it expands to both of their respective garages. Yeah. That shared driveway, half is on the neighbor's uh, property, the other half is on my buyer's property. In that case, we need something called an easement, which allows access from one party to another party on another party's property in order to get to the rest of their property. So each party technically needs an easement. This neighbor is raggedy. Let me tell you about this neighbor. She's raggedy. She's <laughs> entitled. She is um, disrespectful. She's a mess. The seller, per the contract, was obligated to deliver an easement. They had a really good buyer's agent who saw the problem before they even entered into the contract and wrote that problem into the contract, making the seller responsible to address it and provide us with a documented reportable easement. Mm. So <laughs> the seller is talking to the neighbor, talking to the neighbor, talking to the neighbor, and the neighbor's grandfather owned that home originally. Okay. So the neighbor feels like this is my land. Sunshine, no, it's not. <laughs> that land, this land over here is yours. This driveway is half on your land and half on someone else's. You need to share. I had to get involved and I spoke with the neighbor. Long story short, we didn't end up closing. We were clear to close, but the buyer would not buy that house with that neighbor telling her what she can and can't do with the driveway that they share. Mm. Right. So bottom line, the seller was I don't disagree. I don't. Dis I don't disagree with. Her. I'm sorry for break. I'm sorry for cutting you off. I just don't disagree with her because if she bought that house, she literally bought a problem. Because that next door exactly. neighbor, those people would have had to move. And if the grandfather owned that property, then nine times out of ten, we're looking at something that's already owned, something where they don't have to keep paying a mortgage. So they damn near looking well, they for do. free. They I checked it. Oh, they I checked it. She oh, so they still own. I'm sorry. She took a second mortgage on the house. They did. So that loan was paid off. You can go to land records. This is all public information. Gotcha. So I, cause I looked it up. I needed to research her and I needed to research yeah. this house because she's causing a problem for my buyer. And I take, I take issue with that. So I definitely looked at the house. It was paid off. They took out a loan on the house. They were paying a mortgage on that home, you know, because they took out a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So that was, and I drove past the house, mind you, that's how furious I was. <laughs> I this. I, I drove past it like two times. I needed to see what this was all about. And bottom line, that neighbor, they, I'm so glad my buyer didn't buy it. She would have, like you said, been walking into a problem. No, thank you. Yep. So we're out of one contract, get into another one. We close in three weeks. <laughs> and 
And the only reason why it took so long is because we needed the seller to give us some documents and they were a little bit slow. Past that, we would have been done in two weeks because the loan was already cleared to close. Mm-hmm. So, so we just needed a new appraisal, a new contract, new appraisal. So it took a little while to get us some docs. So it took a little bit longer. But my point being, she closed today. We went through hell and high water. This yeah. was not your typical peaceful home buying experience. And I asked her, I said, you know, we went through a lot. The loan was fine, but we went yeah. through a lot. How are you feeling? She said, Ayla, you know, you and my agent, Jaquel, y'all were great. You explained everything to us, you know, her and her wife. You explained everything to us. We always knew what was happening. Um, you told us, here are your options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's my recommendation and why. And they they really appreciated that. So they're probably going to come over for the Juneteenth celebration at my house. They're, <laughs> they're probably going to come over. We're going to we're probably going to be friends. But it nice. was... Um, you know, everyone has a, a story and a circumstance and just getting her to this point where they're so happy about the home that they bought, it just ended up working out and I'm, I'm happy for them. Absolutely. I Listen, listening to what you just said, I'm happy for them, <laughs> you know, because uh, because like I like I've, I've told many of my friends before um, I house hack. I bought a property in Towson uh, before I even met you. If I would have known you. Uh, when I was shopping for a house and I would have been like, hey, I need Ella, give me the stamp. Because I know how dedicated you are to people and that's just the type of people that I want to be working with me when I uh, hit these milestones, right? So, like, I I house hack. Um, And, you know, basically I live in a part of my home and then I rent out the other, you know, part of my house or whatever. And I think that that's like a wealth building thing. Now, when you you buy a house... 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because don't I'm, pay your own mortgage. Yeah, somebody else is paying my mortgage for me. That's great. I just have to be good at my blueprinting skills to make sure that the people that I actually do put in my property are going to, you know, ha- number one, four times your income. That's that's just what that is, right? Whatever right. the rent is going to be, you got to match that four times your income, and we do five times when it's a couple. So uh, right. we'll we'll get into that a little bit later, probably yeah. on another episode, <laughs> you know. Right. But you know, I had um, a, a mini situation. Uh, with my renters and my next door neighbor, it wasn't that big, but it was kind of what you were going at with the understanding of I was here first, right? When people think that they were there first and everything is theirs and that's the land and next one is no, 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 no. You pay for the square footage and a property tax on your property. Maybe you want your neighborhood to be considered to be, you know, better. You want to build up your neighborhood and everything like that. But if we got to argue about a driveway, I really don't want to live there. And the seller, and think about it, the seller probably wanted to sell a crib because he ain't like the neighbors. So so now he's stuck. Now he or she is stuck. It was a flip. This was an investor who bought the house in cash for like next to no money. They basically missed out on an $80,000 paycheck. Mm. Now they they have a hard money loan as well. They got to hold that hard money loan for another one or two months until they get somebody else under contract. That neighbor costs them money. And that, the seller or the, the agent is going to take her to court. Because oh, for sure. Him money. For sure. <laughs> money. And those hard money interest rates ain't no joke. Ungodly. 8%, Ungodly. 10%, 12% with yeah. points? Nah, we not doing that. I would rather get my investor group together. We'll put $300 per family 35 families, work it out to be a hundred grand, buy those properties, you know, b- use the birth strategy. I'm, I am a, I am a fan and I am a member of the bigger pockets. Uh, bigger pockets always says Burr, B-R-R-R. You buy, 
you rehab, you rent, you refinance, and you repeat. Right. A part of that refinancing is getting your appraisal because you put in your force equity and everything like that. So regardless of what you're doing, you're automatically adding force equity, which adds to your net worth, which allows you to borrow more. As long as you don't get caught up in that whole, you know, my people can't pay their rent because you do have to pay your loan back. You should be straight. (laughs) You you should be straight. And for anybody uh, that is listening to the Community Money Podcast right now, if you need more information about the birth strategy, I would push you directly to Bigger Pockets, or you can hit me up at financial.guru.ham at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on a DM at financial.guru.ham on Instagram. So before we get into the next subject, which I know is going to blow people away, I want to take a quick break for our show sponsor. What's going on, Community Money listeners? This is Brandon Wideman, the CEO and founder of Autonomy Life Coaching. I wanted to come by and just let you know that we have just started our own podcast called Authentically Human. In this podcast, we talk about how you can become more authentic. I share personal stories, coaching examples, and different tools that you can leverage to get you to exactly where you want to be. So please join us. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. See you there. And we are back with the Community Money Podcast. Your host, Guru Ham, CEO and founder of Community Financial Investments, host of the Community Money Podcast. We are sitting here with Miss Ayla Harris from First Home Mortgages. Now, Ayla, I told you that the beginning of the episode was the longest that I've ever recorded because you just jam-packed so much information that I knew that the next thing that we were going to talk about was going to be just as important and just as integral for people to understand as the first thing that we talked about. So because of the COVID pandemic, um, there's been a conversation between two financial terms, a forbearance and a deferment, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they only came into question because of Congress. Congress passed a bill that said that, you know, the, the, the homeowner, somebody who owned a mortgage on their house, if they were affected by COVID-19, and it didn't matter if they were affected, their family members could have been financially affected, right? Mm-hmm. If they were affected at all by COVID-19, they can basically push their mortgage 90 days forward right? That's a forbearance. A deferment is a little bit different. I know you're going to get into it, so I'm not going to steal your shine. But can you explain the forbearance versus deferment and the impact of the bill passed by the U.S. Congress? Absolutely. So you basically just broke it down. Oh, my bad. The forbearance, let's backtrack for a minute. Every mortgage servicer is different. So you have your lender, the person or the bank that lent you the money, and then you have the company that you pay that mortgage to. That's the servicer. Yeah. That could be the same bank that you borrowed from. It could be a completely different company. Some of the big names are Penny Mac and Dove and Mule, U.S. Bank. Those are like some of the big, big servicers. Every servicer independently can decide based on their portfolio to offer deferment, or forbearance to their clients based on what they have in, in their portfolio. Yeah. So there isn't a one size fits all where, okay, my neighbor got deferment, they only offered me forbearance. You can't compare, it's apples and oranges. You yeah. can't make that general statement about what everyone should get because it's not 
That's not how it works. But deferment is putting those payments on the back of the loan. So you just extend X number of payments and put that on the back of the maturity date, as opposed to forbearance, which was offered, you take basically three months off. And then on that fourth month, all four payments are due. All four payments are due. Wow. Saying that that money's not going anywhere. The debt is still owed. You owe the money. You took on the responsibility of owning a home. You took on that mortgage. It's owed. That money, again, is not going anywhere. But let's backtrack and talk about what happened and how we got here all together. I love it. So, so understand economies are based on the movement of money, not just having money, but the movement of money. So buyers buy, sellers sell, buyers buy, sellers sell, and the cycle continues. China is essentially like the world's factory. They make everything, or they make a lot of things. Yeah. So when China was impacted and their people couldn't go to work, and then the shipping that they send out to the, the entire world kind of came to a screeching halt, that impacted, there was a ripple effect for, for every other industry. I noticed as soon as that happened, Mercedes put an advertisement on TV. I have never mm -hmm. in life seen a luxury brand advertise on TV except for Christmas time. Yep. You don't have to advertise. The, the brand is there. People want it. They don't have to spend those kind of dollars for that. Yep. Jeep um, put on an ad for 84-month financing for a car. Yo. That's obscene. That's, rid that's ridiculous. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. That's Right. Um, Volkswagen, they put an ad saying you can buy a house, buy a car and no payments for 30 or 60 or 90 days. That was telling. That was very telling. Bottom yes. line, if the, if the sellers couldn't sell, that means buyers couldn't buy and other industries had to compensate to continue the movement of money on a global scale. They mm. had to do that. The same thing happened in the mortgage industry. That's when rates tanked and everybody and their mom, sister, brother, auntie, uncle, everybody was refinancing their house because rates were in the twos. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that. We had ran into a liquidity issue. So not my company, not Bank of America, not that broker, not that credit union. Go ahead. Hold on one sec. You said liquidity issue. Can you explain that to the listeners? What, what you mean by liquidity issue? Yes. So you you have cash and that cash can be tied up in an investment, which means it's not liquid. It's think of it as a solid investment. Mm -hmm. It's not going to move as opposed to liquid money can move. You can spend it. You can receive it. We need cash. In this case, we needed cash to lend. So we had the entire mortgage industry in America received about two years worth of refis in the span of a week, mm. in the span of a week, two years worth of business. So we couldn't keep up and there wasn't enough money to lend. So the, the response to that, when rates plummeted to the twos to incentivize business in our industry, rates shot up to the fives. Okay. That pumped the brakes so that the industry could balance out again, get some homeostasis going on because yeah. we were just completely um, out of discombobulated whack. is the right word. Yeah, <laughs> out of whack. Yeah, discombobulated. So long story short, then we have the unemployment issue. Unemployment is going up, going up, going up, going up. And that makes investors very nervous. Yeah. People who are unemployed can't pay their mortgages. And understand investors invest to get a return on their investment. So this money from mortgages, it's coming from somewhere. Okay? It's coming from a mortgage-backed security. 
Um, those are owned by individuals or corporations, banks, whomever, but that money has to come from somewhere. If those investors are no longer investing in mortgage-backed securities, now we're running out of money, which adds to that to that problem. Mm, absolutely. So basically, guidelines for lending got extremely tight. So if someone had a 615 score and that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been an issue for an FHA loan prior, well, now it's an issue. We needed a higher credit score. Or when it comes to reserves, let's say we needed $5,000 to close and this client has $5,500. That's only 500 bucks. You know, that's not a wise position to be in by any stretch, but technically you can still buy a house with that prior to COVID depending on the, the lender. But then multiple banks put in more rules. We need two months reserves, three months reserves, six months reserves. Mm -hmm. What that is we need two, three or six months of, the, of that person's mortgage payment in the bank after closing, just in case something happens, yep. okay? Um, so credit score requirements became higher. The, um, the reserve requirements became higher and the employment verifications became super intense. So we always verify employment, that's nothing new, but we, in the beginning of the process, but right before closing, every lender does a re-verification of employment. Mm -hmm. and was not just do you have a job which is what it used to be do you still work where you say you work now it was do you work where you say you work in the same position with the same income mm -hmm. it be and if for some reason the employer was a little bit slow to respond underwriters or the closing department at the last minute could say hey give me a pay stub yep. and if we're starting to see um pto being used which means if someone's a 40-hour employee and their employer cut them down to 32 hours, they may be using that eight hours of PTO to make up that income. That way they don't see any impact. We were looking for that. Mm. We were looking for any indication that they were not working their normal hours or that there was some sort of, um, there may be some soon to be change on the horizon regarding their employment or their income. That's a dangerous position to be in. Yeah. I lost several loans. Many of my clients lost their jobs as a result of COVID. And obviously once they get back on their feet, they're gonna resume the process. But this definitely hit home, not just professionally, but personally. It was, you know, people in my family were trying to find a way to make ends meet, solve problems. Um, okay, can I stay with you? I know that my lease is coming up. I, I'm not sure if I can afford this anymore. Can I live in your basement? Can I stay in a room? Mm. You know, housing at that point, but with family. Yeah. People, we had to kind of work, not kind of, we had to work together to make sure that ours were taken care of. Yeah. And it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge. Now, unemployment, let's talk about forbearance for a minute. Please. In May, the forbearance numbers came out. About 7% of homeowners with active mortgages, not just homeowners in general, but people with mortgages, applied for forbearance. Understand that all of those people, Congress didn't set any guidelines for who can apply for forbearance, it was a free-for-all. So people were just taking, people were taking that that free-for-all, like I'm gonna take a month off my mortgage, I'm gonna take two months off my mortgage. Well, then they wanna talk about, Ayla, I wanna refinance my loan. Well, if you can't pay this mortgage now, you're not gonna pay this next one that we're about to start. Mm -hmm. And a lending perspective, risk mitigation, <laughs> we don't wanna assume or accept someone else's problems. If they can't make this work, they're not gonna make that work. Absolutely. Um, Guidelines for that have let, have loosened up a little bit. As long as the the borrower is current on their mortgage, and we can document that, 
the language on the credit report no longer matters. So let's backtrack about that. So as a result of the forbearance, if someone applies for that or requests that for their mortgage or a car loan or a credit card, whatever, that language, there's language on the credit report that specifies this borrower has applied for forbearance. Um, There will be no late payments reported on credit. So it'll look like you're paying on time, but that language is there. Mm. That's that's not going to go anywhere. And that's what the red flag was for us loan officers and processors and underwriters just basically risk mitigation. So what is the lasting effect of that red flag post-COVID? Right? I mean, not, not post-COVID, because I don't really feel like there's going to be a post-COVID. That's like saying post the flu, right? Still, people right. still die from the flu. Right. So I, I don't want to make any extreme claims like that. But what does that language look like for individuals who said, you know, I want to... Uh, do this forbearance. I have enough money saved up, but I think that I can, you know, pay off my credit cards faster. I can get out of this tedious debt, right? But they don't have anything reported to the credit bureaus that says you never had a late payment and they're still current on their mortgage. They just weren't responsible for it by that at the end of that 90 days. Like, is that going to still affect that person? Because how does it actually affect you if nothing was ever really reported? It's just that one line of your report. Event, the forbearance has an, ex, an expiration date, mm-hmm. so that which will fall off on that date per the agreement that that particular borrower had with their servicer. Mm. So, which isn't going to be there forever. Yeah, understand that if they were in a forbearance and month four hits and they don't make the payment, mm-hmm. th- at that point the forbearance is over, no holds barred. They can report you as delinquent. Yeah, for sure. That's it. That's scary, okay? Because when you're four months behind on your mortgage, that's when foreclosure proceedings start. So that's not something to enter into lightly. If a person has a plan, they have the means, they just decided to kind of take a break, that's one thing. But then don't expect a lender to refile you right away. But guidelines have since changed. But it's um, that language will not be there forever. So it's not really a long-term, there's really no long-term consequence. But they do need to make that payment. On, on the fourth month, or else all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> absolutely. 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 You, don't, you don't work this hard to buy a home. You don't work this hard to maintain your home. You don't work this hard to contribute to your neighborhood just to turn around and lose lose the house. Yeah. Now, when it's between a rock and a hard place, then those are their circumstances. Then you talk about a modification. You talk about maybe a short sale if you got to get out of the house, if the house even qualifies for that. And in, in, in the Maryland market, that's not likely to happen. Mm-mm. Values are going up. So yeah, I, don't, for sure. I don't see sale even being on the horizon, but foreclosures absolutely could happen. Um, and my, my recommendation as Ayla, my recommendation as Ayla is simply to figure it out. If you have to be a smidgen bit uncomfortable to maintain your home, then be uncomfortable rather than lose your equity. Big fact. Be uncomfortable rather than put your children, you're, you're playing with your children's future at this point. Mm-hmm. So you bought a home for a reason. You need to leave it to them or sell it for a great profit, put them through school without debt. Find a way. If you have to rent out your basement, rent out a room. If you have an amazing backyard, let someone have a wedding back there because larger you know, facilities aren't able to have large events. Figure it out, yeah. make a way, hustle, and hustle hard, Absolutely. and keep it home. Absolutely. Throughout this episode, I always tell my um, I always tell my guests 
my special guest, right? I always say I'm always looking for titles to the actual episode itself. So I got a couple of them on the side or whatever, but when you said hustle hard, it kind of hit me a little bit. So I'm going to just give me a second. I'm going to write that one down. Fair enough. I never thought I was going to be quoting Ace Hood on my podcast, but it it is it is what it is, you know. Right. So 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 the forbearance versus deferment, we got that. We we took care of that. Um, one more time for everybody who may just be tuning in, can you please let them know where to find you, what your name is, what platforms you're available on? Absolutely. My name is Ayla Harris, loan officer with First Home Mortgage. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Approved with Ayla. Ayla is spelled A-Y-L-A. My email, aharris at firsthome.com. Absolutely. So, Ayla, in preparation for this much anticipated episode, um, which I think is going to break records uh, on a Community Money podcast because I do have my analytics in the back and everything like that. Um, right. We talk about what your clients need to understand and emphasize the importance of, right? So before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. So you're a loan officer. What is the difference between a loan officer and a mortgage loan originator? That's actually one of the questions that I have from my community money audience. No difference. Okay. So there's no difference between a loan officer and a mortgage loan originator. There is not. There is a difference between a a registered loan officer, a licensed loan officer, and a broker. So a loan officer that works at a, at a larger institution, like a, like a Chase or a Bank of America or a PNC, something like that, some of their loan officers are licensed, which means they had to study, take a test, pass it, were held to a standard. I mean, they're all held to a standard, but like my name is on the license. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not some company, but my name, my background check, my credit pool, me, I'm on, on that license. Mm-hmm. So there's... Um, licensed loan officers, but if someone works for like a larger institution, those individuals may not be licensed. They may be registered loan officers, which means they work under the license of their bank that they may not have their own independent license. Mm. And then a broker, a broker is someone who is oftentimes a licensed loan officer, but they're supposed to be a licensed loan officer and they shop different mortgages at different banks. Mm. Think of them as a personal shopper for mortgages. The, there are pros, there are cons. It depends on the situation, but there's direct lenders and then there's brokers. So that's pretty much the breakdown. But yeah. mortgage loan officer and mortgage loan originator, same difference. Great, great. That was literally because I often get questions via email um, from my listeners so they can better understand um, what is going on because you, you can Google, you can Alexa, you can ask Siri, <laughs> you can do all these different things, right? But like, who are you going to have in front of you that's really going to make it make sense? Um, and that's what we that's what we strive to achieve with the Community Money Podcast. So back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, just had to throw that in. Um, shout out to Compliments to CM for that question from Virginia. So briefly, um, can you please discuss your clients needs to understand and emphasize the importance of uh, of the mortgage process itself. What questions are you asking them to prepare them for understanding what what great responsibility of a decision they're making when they decide to put a mortgage in their name? Number one, what is the plan? What's the plan? 
what I say one more time, what is the plan? Say for the people in the back. For for all the folks in the back, what do you want? Um, I cannot hit the mark if there is no target. So ultimately, what do you want? Is this your first home? Is this your next home? Is this um, the first of many rental properties and you're going to slowly but surely buy up? Or is this the home that you're going to live in, start a business in, and then you'll acquire the investments through different avenues? Mm. Um, if they even want to have the have the investment property, some people, they just flat out may not want to be a landlord. And I and I totally get it. I, don't. <laughs> I personally understand why they wouldn't. Because <laughs> sometimes it's frustrating. But I don't. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take this no, free mortgage money in a minute. That, that's where that hustle hard comes in. Just because it's uncomfortable or not pleasant doesn't mean it's not worth it. Absolutely. So, so you got to have a plan. And for the clients that come and say, Ayla, I just want to paint my walls whatever color I want to paint the walls. I challenge them to think about their family, their work. If they're of a certain age, okay, let's talk about retirement. What's the plan? And often I've talked to, I want to say at least like three, four, five people this week who are over the age of 50 who have no plan for retirement, no life insurance, minimal savings, you know, 10 grand in a 401k. We don't have the luxury to, 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 to not think about the future. We don't have that luxury. We have to think about it. So I ask those tough questions, even when it comes to life insurance, that's something I will bring up in a mortgage consultation. Do you have a plan? So especially yeah. if they have children, are you gonna leave them a house or are you gonna leave them a debt? Yeah. So you, if you have a million dollars in life insurance or half a million, that's going to pay off this mortgage. But don't do that. Don't. That's not my recommendation. And I, I can't give that advice. But just making sure that we have a safety net. That way they can not just buy the home, keep the home. And when they pass, transfer the wealth. Let your kids start from square four, not square one. And then when they start at square four, they get to square six or seven. Their kids start at square six or seven. These are the conversations that I have beyond what a lot of loan officers may may do or loan originators, same difference. They may just say, okay, what's your social? How much money do you make? Okay, I pull your credit, I calculate your DTI. Okay, great. You had a job, you have a residential history, cool. So they filled out the application, but they did not solve any problems. And people may not know what problems there are if they have not been exposed to this way of thinking. Thinking about the future, thinking about wealth, thinking about tax breaks, thinking about profit, thinking about how to make money and give as little of it away, of it as away. Hmm. A lot of us come into this, obviously come in as consumers. We earn money and we spend it. We earn money and we spend it. Not we earn money, the money goes to work for us, time works for us, people are working for us, and then we spend as little as possible. That's the mindset shift that I am emphasizing with my clients who may not be there yet. We gotta have a plan because I cannot hit a target if there isn't one. Absolutely. And that really just goes back to um, Brittany Phillips and the One Million Families Initiative, uh, founder and right, CEO of great. that. Yeah, absolutely. Save for the people in the back. Um, you know, working with her with the workshops that we've done. Um, workshops with my family, workshops with her family, workshops with UPC DMV, workshops with 
other organizations, other platforms for meetup groups and doing it virtually, explaining to them the importance of getting your insurance, right? Your life insurance, buzz, you know, buzzword life insurance, but it's really income protection. It's to protect your income, right? What happens if you pass away? You know, we not to take it over to the community route, but I think we need to we need to do this a little bit. You know, when we talk about George Floyd, when we talk about, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, Ahmaud, you know, he was he was murdered. You know, by two right. fanatical people who were trying to uh, say that they were making a citizen's arrest or whatever due to their racial bias. But Ahmad, you know, if he would live long enough, he would have had a family. Right. Right. And the way right. that he was able to protect his family, if anything happened to him, was his income. Right. So you protect your income. Now we go over to George Floyd, you know, shout out to Floyd Mayweather for being able to financially sponsor his memorial. But we as, you know, black and brown folks in this country, we should all have policies. We should all we should all have policies because now we become financial advocates of each other. You know, I look at it's kind of a a morbid conversation, but. You know, when we don't have things like that, that are able to set our families up, when crises like this happen, we can't afford a lawyer. We have to rely on the good faith of other individuals to use their hard-earned dollars when we could have had a, a policy for maybe 250000 that you only paid $60 a month for, right? It's a hedge against an insurance company. It's a bet. The insurance company right. sets the risk, and then you say, hey, well... Even if I didn't, you know, pass away or leave this earth, you know, in, within the next 35 years, then by that time, I'll have a house. I'll become self-insured. I'd have my investments. I don't need this policy anymore. I don't need a, a cash value to grow for me that I would have to borrow from and then they would have to, I would have to pay the company back 5% of the money I gave them to grow. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. And that's where financial literacy comes into play when we do talk to people about buying property. Because when I bought my house, I got so much mail, so much. Hey, Mr. Hamilton, you know, if guys didn't know uh, Guru Ham, Guru Hamilton, uh, I got so much mail that said, hey, you can buy a depreciating policy. And I said, well, what in the world is that? Looked at it, called the company. I knew it was garbage, but I looked at it. I called the company and they said, oh, yeah, you can purchase this policy for ninety five dollars a month. And then, right, you can, the the policy is going to be cheaper with the more equity you own in your property. So when I own my house, the policy is not going to be worth anything, which means that if anything happens to me, my family would just get the house. They wouldn't get a policy. But isn't the goal to be able to maximize your existence? Not necessarily right. say, I want to throw money out the window. Why am I giving you $90 for something I'm not going to have in 30 years? Because it's not going to be worth anything, you know? Right. And that's and that's what the One Million Families Initiative is, is great at doing. You have a 30 to 35 year policy that you get approved for. And even though it expires in 35 years, we all we always give you the building blocks to create that passive income and to create Mm -hmm. that investment portfolio that you're going to need. That's going to be able to pay you in your 60s and 70s. Public school education, private school education isn't teaching. It has never taught financial and fiscal responsibility. And that's why I think that, you know, when we end up in these situations like COVID, 
when people are getting, you know, fired or uh, applying for unemployment at mass rates, everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. The people who right? truly understand what budgeting is, what tightening your belt is, you know, claiming assets, being able to buy into a system, investment portfolios. Mine dropped about five or six grand. I'm not worried because guess what? It's going to go back up. We've, we've seen this before. <laughs> You know, and right. I, I think it was, uh, I saw a post on Instagram one time because I do get my information and my motivation from IG. Sorry, sue me. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like the, it was a famine before the roaring 20s, right? The roaring right. 20s started with, helped build this country outside of everything else we want to talk about on the community side. You know, the roaring 20s was about financial gain. So if you guys don't understand, you should still be investing in your portfolio. You should still have a mutual fund. You should still have a savings account up to three to six months. If you want to be conservative, make it a year. Make it a year. Have a savings account of up to a year. Get a, you know, a financial action plan, which is provided by community financial investments. Let's not be affected in such a way that we're losing our minds when it comes to being able to take care of our family in these tough times. And I wanted to share a small story to piggyback on that about life insurance. I was 26 or something at the time and my dad was pushing 50 and he sat all of us down and said, hey, y'all should get a life insurance policy on me. And I just wasn't in the headspace to talk about my daddy dying. That's my mm -hmm. daddy. He's not going to die. That's my daddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and he, he will die. And, and so will I. And I wish I would have done it. And we talked about it later on. And he understands, you know, beyond being morbid, let's just be real. Mm. Okay. Be real. We can be, you, someone can die and we can resent them because they didn't plan for their family. They didn't plan for their grandkids. Or we can be sad and we can have the opportunity to properly grieve because all the business has been handled. Mm -hmm. And if we think about it that way, it gets a lot less morbid and it seems like the responsible thing to do that children should do with their parents and parents should do with their children mm -hmm. to make sure either way things are going to be okay. It's the responsible thing to do. If you love your family, get a life insurance policy. If you love yourself, get a life insurance policy. If you care about your auntie or your cousins or somebody else or just in general, if you want to be considered a resourceful person and you don't want someone's last memory of you to be, oh, she didn't handle her business. She knew she had two kids and she left us to take care of this with nothing. They're going to resent you. Mm. Do the right thing. If you love yourself and you respect yourself enough to, ca to care about yourself and your memory, get a life insurance policy, if nothing else. And you don't need kids in order to get that. I don't have any kids. I have a lot of life insurance. Mm. I'm also very healthy. Yep. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, so it's super cheap now for you. It is. It is super cheap. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and I'm, I'm not old. So it, it works. <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to piggyback on that and just reiterate and press in and demand warmly, warmly demand that everyone who's listening to this get a life insurance policy. That's it. That's all. Period. Do it. Absolutely. Period with a T. 
Um, period. So, <laughs> period. <laughs> with a T. So what I'm going to do, man, we've been going on and this is this has been super fun. I'm just going to take another quick break to give my listeners a rest. Um, I usually try to make my episodes an hour, but this is such good content that it's going to keep going. Yes, this is the host of the Community Money Podcast, CEO and founder of Community Financial Investments. And we will be right back with Ella Harris from First Home Mortgage. Hey everybody, this is your girl, Brittany Phillips, founder and CEO of the One Million Families Initiative. And I'm here to share an exclusive deal for all Community Money Podcast listeners. When you visit tobs.biz and enter promo code CMP10, you'll receive 10% off your total order at checkout. Again, when you enter promo code CMP for Community Money Podcast 10, you'll receive 10% off your total order. So if you're looking for some cool and customizable gear, that won't drain your pockets, visit Tobbs, T-O-B-B-S dot B-I-Z and enter promo code CMP10 for 10% off. Happy shopping. And we are back with the Community Money Podcast. Me, Guru Ham. You can find me on Instagram at financial.guru.ham. You can also send me an email at financial.guru.ham at gmail.com. As the host of the Community Money Podcast, I take this very seriously. And the only thing that I want you guys to listen to is people that I love and respect and care about and care about their opinion and understand that they have a base of knowledge that everybody needs to know. We are trying to be the one-stop shop easy button for you to understand how you should be able to navigate through life. And now we reintroduce Miss Ayla Harris from First Home Mortgage. So Ayla, I'm going to tell you, for 50 minutes so far, you've been outstanding. I just want to give you that. I just just want to give you that um, because I know that mentorship does not usually run rampant in our community. We usually lean on an aunt, we lean on an uncle, we lean on a cousin who has their quote unquote S, you know, sugar honey iced tea, as my mom would say, together. Right. Right. So we right. lean on them, but at the same time, we need more mentors if we're going to be able to create the generation that we wish to see. If we're going to create something that's going to be able to surpass us long after we're gone. So with that yeah. said, what words of wisdom can you give our listeners when it comes to the mortgage process? And how can people start on their path to acquiring more information to make the right decision during said process? You know what? That's that's great. The words of wisdom. Let's uh okay. Let's Number unpack one. that. Let's do it. Let's unpack right. that. <laughs> Let's think about that. Number one, live below your means. Just because you just because you can afford it now doesn't mean you can afford it tomorrow, and tomorrow is going to come. All right. So we need to act like tomorrow's coming, even though it's not promised. Prepare for the prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Live below your means. So, for example, your two income household. Try living on one income. Mm. Try it. See if you can make that work. Um, if you're two or three income household, live on two incomes and not the th- not the third. Um, house hack like you're doing. That's 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 a plan. It's solid. It works. Um, number two, when it this is <laughs> I always talk about this right before closing. On the closing disclosure, you have your loan estimate, you have your loan amount, and then on page five, you have the finance charge. Ooh. 
it takes 30 years to pay off your loan, you're damn near paying double. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're damn near paying double. So don't take 30 years to pay off your loan. A quick way to knock off seven or eight years that isn't painful. Take one extra mortgage payment, your full mortgage payment, the total monthly payment, and apply that to principal one time per year. So if your mortgage is $2,400 a month, you know, that times 12 is what you're going to normally pay, but you could take that 2,400, maybe when you get your taxes back, put that on principal, that right there, you knock off seven or eight years, saves you tens of thousands of dollars in interest and it doesn't hurt. Or just take that monthly payment, divide it by 12, so $200, and put an extra 200 on your mortgage payment every month and knock that out. Again, that's not gonna hurt. That $200 is not gonna make or break your life. And it's worth it to not pay that interest back to the bank. Number three, when, it, when we talk about strategizing for a loan, I get a lot of pushback on this concept of points. So let me tell you what a point is and when it makes sense to pay it. Preach. So to an interest rate, people say my bank offered me this and they think that's the rate for today. Or someone will call me and say, Ayla, what are the rates for today? First off, rates are based on risk and there are three determining factors for that. Credit score, the amount of your down payment and your debt to income ratio. Just Google debt to income ratio. You can calculate that yourself. It is not rocket science, okay? Um, so based on their risk profile, that will determine what rate they're offered. But even still, you have a choice in rate. You always do. You can either buy points or you can get a lender credit. Don't get the lender credit. Okay. At some point I'll do a video with you. Um, <laughs> let's, we'll do a video so I can show people the math. Cause when you see it, it's so crystal clear as to what you should or shouldn't do, but a quick takeaway to to determine whether or not you should or should not pay points is a very simple cost benefit analysis. So determine the cost, the, the dollar amount that your lender is going to charge you for that lower rate, and then compare the monthly payment between the higher rate and the lower rate. So let's say it's um, 70, let's say the, the buying down the rate costs $4,000, mm-hmm. all right? And then the monthly payment between the, the higher rate and the lower rate, the difference is, Mm. So 4,000 divided by the difference in payment, the savings, $67 equals 59.7 months. So that's basically 60 months, five years. Mm. Here's the thing. As long as you keep this loan for for five years or more, you're saving. If you know that you're going to refinance this loan in less than five years, then don't pay those points or don't pay that much. Mm. So have to guess you don't have to try you don't have to try to you know pray about it just do the math and the math was not hard okay it was simple vision the amount the cost for the points that the lender is going to charge dollar amount divide that by the monthly savings for that lower rate equals your break even period and if you keep the loan not the house but the loan for that amount of time or longer then you're saving if you refinance or sell before that time frame you just lost money Mm. Those are my three words of wisdom. Some people say that's the the bank's way of taking your money. It absolutely is for you to save. It's a give and a take. No one's just going to say, take this lower rate so I can make less money. There's going to be an exchange, but that exchange can work in your favor. Again, if you know your plan and if you work that plan and you work it, 
you work it hard. You've yeah. got to know what the plan is that way. I can do the math for you, put it in an email and say, does this line up with your vision? Because if it doesn't, then this, these aren't the mortgage terms for you. So, so those are my, my tidbit words of wisdom. So number one, live below your means. You can do it. Just try. <laughs> live below your means. <laughs> please. Number two. So, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'm just saying, please, like live below your means. Do that. It works. <laughs> It works. It works wonders. I'm telling you, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Number one, live below your means. Number two, don't take 30 years to pay off your mortgage. That's a big no, no, big, big no, no. And number three, entertain paying points. If it makes sense for your scenario and just talk to me, I'm a good loan officer. (laughs) I can help you do the math and walk you through the math, illustrate how this makes sense. Or if it doesn't make sense, tell you it doesn't make sense, and we move on to plan B. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me personally, I used the VA loan. Um, there was no points involved in me paying down anything. I was like, nope. I said, nope, I don't worry. I'm not worried about it. I actually use uh, what you would consider the Robert Kiyosaki uh, formulation mm-hmm. when it came to buying an asset or uh, buying something. A house is not an asset until it's paid off and it's actually paying you. Um, well, actually, a house is not an asset until it's paying you instead of you paying for it. So I decided to buy a property for it to allow me to pay off debt. You know, so it, to me, my house is an asset for me right now. Even though I pay a little right. bit, it's not as much as I could possibly be paying for it because of the house hacking strategy, which I am vehemently for. Um, I don't know if I can say it any louder. You know, I don't know if I can say it for the people in the back. Like, it is what you need to be doing. Um, and for more information on that, please, financialguru.ham at gmail.com. Um, break-even periods. We talked about break-even periods. Um, when we go back to PMI, you know, some people have a house for 15 years and they still haven't, they, they basically finally paid off their PMI, they refinance it, and they have enough equity in their house to not have to pay for that anymore. So now their, you know, their their mortgage goes down. And some people think, right. oh, my interest rate might be higher, but my mortgage is lower. Yeah, because you were just paying a bet that the bank made because you didn't have the initial down payment in the first place. Really getting into the weeds of buying property is is something that I believe our culture, our people need to completely understand to to, to cover that reclamation that we talked about earlier in the episode. Um, right. So... Go ahead. Can I touch on that real quick? Absolutely. Please, please do so. So let's give you some, some high level information. Everybody grab a pen. Okay. So there are four types of loans. Um, let's just touch on that. So we have a VA loan that is for veterans. Okay. If you served in the military, whether active duty, national guard, reserve, you got to serve a certain amount of time, depending on when you entered service, but that's literally the best loan you can get. That's it. That's all. No down payment, no mortgage insurance, and you may or may not have a funding fee, but that funding fee is financed. So you, you're not going to really see it. It's not going to really hit you like that. If you even, if that vet even has to pay it. All yeah. right. Then there's USDA financing, U.S. Department of Agriculture, also known as RHS, Rural Housing Service. That is for people who are under a certain income limit and choose to live in rural areas. Benefit of that loan, no down payment, really cheap mortgage insurance. Um, Then we have FHA and conventional financing. FHA has the least strict requirements, which is why it's so popular. But here's the catch. Mortgage insurance. You will have mortgage insurance on an FHA loan for as long as you have that loan. you got to refi out of it in order to get rid of the mortgage insurance. One exception. If you put down 10%, on an FHA loan, 
Then you have mortgage insurance for 11 years. That's not half bad, but you got to have the 10%. Now let's compare that with conventional. With conventional financing, stricter, higher credit scores, stricter guidelines to qualify. It's not, um, it just takes a little bit more to qualify, but bottom line, you can get rid of that PMI, which is private mortgage insurance, when you have 20% equity in the house. And if you forget to call to request to terminate that mortgage insurance, it will automatically fall off when you have 22% equity in the house. So, so many strategies, so many options, conventional loans. We can do lender paid mortgage insurance, borrower paid monthly, borrower paid single premium. We can do a split premium. Depending on the circumstances, depending on the guidelines, just talk to someone who's experienced and who will sit down with you. Take the time. We only need like 30 minutes to an hour to go over this. It's not going to be a five hour conversation. 30 to 45 minutes, bring coffee. Because I'm going to drop a lot of knowledge on you. you, Okay, and you need to focus. So I wanted to touch on that to explain mortgage insurance, types of loans, and some of the pros and cons and the dynamics, the insight into how they work and who is best served by those different products or different loan types. Absolutely. And number one, thank you for that explanation because because as somebody who is not a loan officer um i am well read when it comes to uh the things that i believe i need to know whether it's to understand on a personal level uh understand a professional level or to be a leader in my own company and a leader in something that i'm building for people so they can never question you know where it's coming from and i'm i'm not just pulling this stuff out of thin air like you can mm-hmm. find what we're saying and for my listeners you can find what we're saying in the books that are certified for people who are getting licensed like these are things that they know these are things that they're supposed to know to be able to right. get certified to be able to work with you anyway um so that's that's amazing. Uh, the 22% equity fall off on a conventional, the 10% down payment, 11 years, uh, having that, that mortgage insurance, that private mortgage insurance dropping off. And then even talking about earlier with the, you know, the private policy, the private income protection, not relying on your job because there's a lot of clauses when you're, you know, if you're not working at your job and, you know, they, they kind of cut your hours down a little bit, you're no longer, you know, eligible for a payout if anything happens to you so it's always good to have your own private everything you know like your your mortgage insurance that you're going to pay with the company that's separate but that just goes into escrow right like the 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 servicer on your loan might say hey this is a good place to go but if you already have somebody that's out there shopping for you it's private but it's still being paid by your escrow account um can't really do too much about your property tax or anything like that be smart about that guys when you go look for your houses but the usda you know the Royal, you said rural housing service. I heard about that. I don't really want to live anywhere rural, but for you guys who want land, who want large plots of land that are available, I mean, listen, take a day and drive down to Virginia, drive down to Hampton and see how much land you're going to be able to drive by. Go to the county records and figure out who owns that. You might be able to get a USDA RHS loan to be able to start that and get your and, and create your own community. You might have to do a little plumbing and you know electrical and everything like that, <laughs> you know sewage and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. But it's well, not it's septic. not big. Yeah, a little well yeah, a little well and septic. You know, you no know, big deal. <laughs> exactly, no big deal. Get with a developer, right? But you know the way that we always have to think when it comes to us being a part of what we consider to be first generation money is having those big ideas. Your dreams should be scary. They should be fearful because if they're not, 
then you're still within some sort of semblance of comfort. And that's where you should not be living your life if you want your next generation to say, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Thank you, cousin Les. Thank you, Guru Ham. Thank you, Miss Harris. Thank you, cousin Ayla, for doing this because even though you were doing this for yourself, I was able to benefit from this when you were gone. So it pains me to even say this, uh, Miss Harris. Last question. Will you be sure to come back to the Community Money Podcast to share more information in an effort to continue to motivate and inspire our listeners to go out and acquire more information to purchase homes and create generational wealth. Will you do that for us? Absolutely. I love to teach. Check out my reviews on Zillow. Okay, all of my my reviews on Zillow talk about me teaching people. I teach. I, I don't just say, what's your social, how much money do you make? And what are your debts? You know, it's more about, I want you to understand. I want to teach people. I want everyone to make smart decisions. I want our community to thrive and be able to pass that wealth on to the future. It brings me joy. It brings me joy to my soul to teach people what I know. I learned this the hard way so that you don't have to. Okay. Mm. So that you don't have to, you don't Mm. have to start where I started. I will tell you what your options are. And ultimately, you're going to make the decision because it's your money. But let me help you. I want to help you. It's in my soul to do it. Absolutely, I'll come back. I love it. And and look, you you deserve one of these. You deserve one of these for sure, because even though we do not have an audience right now, even though we do not have a live audience, you are definitely worth the applause. And I do have something else to ask you. I'm sorry to say that that was the last question, but I do have something else to ask you. So as we're in season two of the Community Money Podcast, I'm always looking for super bright, genius type individuals that are going to be able to lead um, our listeners in on a path of success, giving them the necessary information that they need to be able to be successful. And we call them residents. So we have Brittany Phillips from the One Million Families Initiative. She's a resident personal finance advisor, right? Financial specialist for this. We have Lars Jeter from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Even though, as we said on the episode, nothing that he says <laughs> denotes... <Right. laughs> The notes, you know, the thoughts and practices of Price Waterhouse Coopers. He's our residency, uh, resident CPA, certified public accountant. So, Miss Harris, as I sit here in front of you today on Zoom during a <laughs> pandemic, right? Would you like to be a resident loan officer so you can give the community money listeners? all of the information that they need to be able to make the right and informed decision when it's their time to go out and buy uh, a property and get a piece of this American dream that we so uh, we so heavily covet. I am honored at the ask and yes, I accept. I would be happy to be the resident loan officer. And you earned it and you earned it again. And you earned it again. I love it. I love it. Well, Miss Harris, Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thank you so much for picking up the phone the many times that we talked. Uh, Thank you for the conversations. Thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for your investment into the community to make it a better place when you leave it than when you found it. 
So thank you Absolutely. so much for that. And thank you for being a guest on the Community Money Podcast. Like I said before, after every break, this is financial.guru.ham at gmail, financial.guru.ham on Instagram, host of Community Money Podcast, CEO and founder of Community Financial Investments. I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode half as much as I did making it. And please be sure to subscribe and be sure to share this with the last five people that you sent a text message to. I'm pretty sure they will appreciate it as well. Thank you and have a great day. everybody, Guru Ham here again, thanking you for listening to the latest episode of the Community Money Podcast. I just want to take a little time out and ask you guys to share these episodes. If you like what you heard, please share, share, share. Look at the last five people that you texted. Do you think that they will benefit from listening to the Community Money Podcast? Do you think they will benefit from knowing how to use their money better? Do you think they will benefit from understanding how to start a business and the things that business owners around the country and around the world are thinking about as they start their business? Because honestly, we're no different. Some of us have aspirations to have billion dollar businesses and some of us just want to pay off our house. Some of us want to put our kids through a better college and some of us just want to make more money and enjoy life better. So please share, share, share the Community Money Podcast. This is not a moment. This is a movement. Thank you.